Um, so, delighted to welcome Ilya Radosh from, uh, from Berlin. Ilya is head of the Automotive Competence Center at uh, Fraunhofer. Uh, he's also a lecturer at TU Berlin and Bob uh, well, Dicati, is that right? The, uh, the DCIT, Daimler, yeah. The Daimler uh, Research Center in Berlin. So, uh, he's going to talk to us today about vehicle, vehicle communication. So, yeah. welcome. So, Thanks for having me. Um, I threw together a couple of slides. Usually I do some, some marketing presentations, but I wanted to spare you that. So I took a couple of slides from uh, my lecture course, which is actually uh, covering everything from uh, vehicle to X communication, from application to routing to Mac and Fi. Of course, I have to condense that to hopefully an hour. I never done this talk in, in this kind of arrangement. So um, if you have any questions, don't uh, hesitate to, to ask them. Um, and let's start with a short introduction what is Fraunhofer Focus. It's a quite complicated uh, arrangement we have at the Tour Berlin. Probably some of you are familiar with Fraunhofer. It's one of the largest um, research institution society in, in Germany. Uh, apart from Max Planck. So we are separate, or we have different institutes all over uh, Germany, above 50 or so. We are one uh, focusing mainly on communication. So the thing is that each Fraunhofer Institute has also a professor, a chair on a university. This is where the TU Berlin, the Technical University of Technology in Berlin, comes into play. Um, we also have two uh, additional chairs for next generation networks and also for software testing. So Fraunhofer Focus is basically 200 researchers working in different fields on communication, ranging from electronic government to car-to-car -to -car communication, what I'm doing there. But also model-driven uh, engineering, ambient intelligence and stuff like that. Now DCIT, uh, where the logo actually is uh, meant to, to show you how it's pronounced, because we always have uh, difficulties with that, is yet another institution, or so to say label, because we have a strong cooperation with industry, because the main uh, focus of Fraunhofer, so to say, is applied research, so we are only funded for 30% percent of our budget. The rest we have to get from, from industry partners. Um, so we have a joint research institute with Daimler at the TU Berlin DCIT. Uh, used to be called Daimler Chrysler Center for something. Uh, since Daimler got rid of Chrysler, we had to rename. However, we wanted to, to keep the name and the logo, and that's why we are now the Daimler Center for Automotive Information Technology Information. So this is what, what happens uh, in the big world. And we have m two main research areas. One is vehicle to x communication. I'm heading that group there. And software engineering, where we, Daimler is actually researching how to make uh, safe software to, to run in their cars. So um, to structure our research and also this lecture, um, I like to show this basic um, overview about automotive research because when you work with automotive industry also internally they're very much divided into that different areas and uh, they of course talk to each other but uh, if you try to cross domains then uh, people 
suddenly don't understand you, so you have to be very sure of where you actually are and how to, how to speak. And it's basically divided into safety to make cars safer, to make the drive safer, efficiency, um, timer efficiency, of course, to get to your um, home, for instance, or work uh, earlier than others, but of course also resource, more resource efficient uh, in spending less CO2 while you're driving, and of course the whole domain of, of infotainment, uh, which is not to be confused with, with the safety. What we do is we're not inventing the new airbag, we just see uh, what with communication you can do to increase actually safety, to increase uh, efficiency and actually to make the, the ride more enjoyable. Um, the infotainment part I'm, I'm leaving out a little bit because um, it's quite straightforward. Basically, you take an LTE or UMTS connection into the car and stream radio or video or whatever you want into the car. There are some issues uh, with regard to driver distraction, so there's not many things you can do actually to present to the driver. Uh, one, of course, is the, the weather information uh, that obviously needs to be there um, for every internet-connected device. You, you need to have some applications that shows you the weather. Um, it's not enough to, to look out of the window. Um, but uh, apart from that, uh, streaming video, for instance, is just for the, the passengers riding uh, with you. Um, with regard to the safety, that's the more interesting part. Uh, we're actually seeing um, an increased interest in what we call proactive safety. So usually when you talk about uh, driver safety or passenger safety in vehicles, we have on the very left side after the crash, it's where it started, passive safety basically means um, yeah, uh, I don't know how you, uh, driving belt, sorry for that, uh, which actually happens and, and, and mitigates the, the effects after the crash. Uh, then we have got active safety, airbags and such things that happen right um, at the crash or before the crash but are not reversible. And we are going more to more into proactive safety where we are actually in the timeline of 30 minutes or 2 minutes. So way before uh, the crash actually happens and where we can try to actually avoid any, any crash and any accident. And there is where vehicle-to-x communication basically comes into play just before the crash, warning the driver, informing the driver of oncoming obstacles, but then, of course, doing some mitigation uh, right uh, before the, the actual crash. What other things you can do there? Um, as I said, normal warnings. You can warn of uh, slow vehicles ahead. You can warn of obstacles or hazardous locations um, ahead. Um, also, if you go into more, more near times to the crash information, and you can do something like electronic um, brake lights, so uh, the driver is informed even further and even earlier of, of sudden braking of cars in front of him. What you can also do is uh, you can warn drivers of approaching emergency vehicles. That's actually a very uh, interesting use case there, so you don't have to rely on, on just the light, the visual information or the audio information of the 
Martin's horn, but you also get the information um, about that in your multifunctional device or in your head-up display. With traffic efficiency, the second part where vehicle-to-X communication can play an important part, it's of course basically to, to increase the efficiency of the network, but also partly uh, to increase the safety because if you have less uh, traffic jams, for instance, then of course there's the chances that you are uh, having accidents because of those traffic jams has also decreased. It's the, the separation of those is actually very interesting because the whole vehicle-to-X communication got its own frequency at 5.9 gigahertz, but for free, but only for safety applications. So uh, car manufacturers, suppliers and stuff, they have to be very careful what kind of applications they actually put or use that frequency for. And so they always have to argue that this or that applications that will come in the future is actually a safety application. Uh, with traffic efficiency, of course, um, the very hard thing is to show that it helps your driver. Because in the end, car manufacturers and also suppliers to that regard, they want to sell more cars. With safety, it's quite easily to, to see that if I'm not uh, dead after an accident or if I can avoid an accident, it helps me a lot. Of course, usually drivers don't want to, to pay for that feature, they, they just take it for granted. Efficiency, on the other hand, uh, it's also a very hard goal to reach because there you have the individual um, efficiency or the individual benefits of one driver going uh, faster through the, through the traffic, but then you have the overall benefit of the, the whole traffic system, and actually zone, those don't uh, get along very well. So usually uh, to have an overall um, benefit usually means that the individual benefits is way lower than it could be. Partly uh, game theory could come into play with, with that, actually. Um, but one thing we can, we can see here already is um, the, the investments from the public authorities that people would foresee, because for this global benefit you actually get if you increase the efficiency of the traffic, uh, car manufacturers are actually not willing to, to pay for that. And so they are um, very keen on, on getting the public authorities into that to actually also pay for that. The additional benefit will be that once you have lots of roadside stations able to, to multi-hop information and packets, you also increase the um, probability that you can, in, at least in the beginning, uh, have two cars being able to, to communicate. So what you do, you for each uh, application or use case you foresee, you lower the minimum penetration rate with these uh, ITS roadside stations. So that's another point of why um, the whole community actually wants public authorities to, to invest in this kind of technology. What it will end up is, is that we have several vehicles you, you can see on the selection of, of vehicles that we have a strong cooperation partner. Um, but this actually goes for, for every car manufacturer, not only uh, in Germany, but also in Europe and even worldwide. Uh, so similar efforts are undertaken in, in the US and also in Japan. 
So what we want, we want to have each vehicle talk to each other, we want to have the vehicles talk to the roadside stations, uh, also to some central stations, probably via cellular networks like UMTS or LTE. We don't have to invent something there. But for the ad hoc communication between vehicles and also between the roadside station, it was foreseen uh, like 10, 12 years ago that you need to have your own communication protocols for that. Partly because of the latency, partly because cellular networks were not as widespread and capable actually as they are today. Also, you have to, to see that car manufacturers are actually selling cars and they want to sell the same car to the whole world. So uh, you have to have some technology that works everywhere. And having or relying just on cellular networks uh, will not do that or will not be able to, to fulfill that dream to, to have the same car and the same installation all over the world. So what they come up with is several standards also based on Wi-Fi, um, a new kind of Wi-Fi, so to say, the 802.11p. This was chosen because it was actually uh, available and it seemed most suitable compared to using or reusing any cellular technologies. So it's partly legal because of IPR issues that usually um, incline with, with UMTS or cellular technology. Um, and also with cellular technology is very imbalanced. So you have these base stations, you have the cell towers using lots of energies, and then you have these mobile phones using much less energy. But if you have two ad hoc cars, uh, it's kind of hard to, to distribute that, that uh, equally. Wi-Fi is the, the better approach there. As I said before, uh, there have been lots of projects uh, working on that. Actually, uh, you can trace back vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication back to the 60s, even though it was not wireless back then, but wired. So they really had cables running uh, from one car to the other, just to show that you, you, that you can do that and that you can do uh, interesting things with that. In Germany, it's really sparked with Network on Wheels and FleetNet, some uh, locally or German ministries funded projects that sparked that idea of vehicle to X communication. But then uh, you also had lots of European projects like Wilborn and also Prevent. And the very beginnings, uh, they foresee also the Prometheus projects. Uh, if you talk about uh, Prometheus with, with people, they will get uh, wet eyes because those were the golden times where money was available. <laughs> and so this this come a long way. Now, right now we are in the process that we've shown that vehicle-to-x communication not only works with two, three, four, five cars in, the, in a, such a research project that is really viable for deployment, but what we, we need to do right now is to finish standardization. Of course, there Etsy is the right standardization body to do that. Uh, but since they are only taking what's given to them, uh, you have to prepare that. That's the car-to-car -car communication consortium for, uh, where all the research institute, but also car manufacturers and suppliers are actually are combining and, and preparing any standardization. And what's left actually right now is to uh, 
to show that it really works is some field operational test. So we really have to, to show with a high number of cars uh, that it really works in the field. And there are two major projects showing that. It's one in Germany, SimTD, um, and the other one is Drive C2X uh, in Europe. I will tell you about a little bit later. But first, um, since we have the, the OZ layers, uh, I, I've structured the, the whole issue of vehicle-to-communication around that because it's very kind of interdisciplinary. With networks, usually you, you're just on the file level or a layer or just on the Mac layer or you're just doing some, some routing. Uh, with vehicle-to-x communication, you really, to, to understand what's, what the problems are there, you have to go through all the layers. So that's what I want to, to do with you now. Um, please feel free to, um, to ask. The thing with the application, as I, I hinted that already, is um, that you really make sure that the applications you, you start the whole system with are really working in a way. Because once uh, they cost car manufacturers money to actually develop, first, if they, um, if they don't work, and this whole vehicle-to-x communication is something like a, they, they have this network effect. So the more people are participating in that, the better it gets. But if the applications are not working or the benefit for the user is not, um, so to say, uh, so, so high or so remarkable, uh, then, we'll, then we'll, they will reject that, but, which would mean that you don't get some, some kind of critical mass for, for these uh, applications. And that's why uh, when we started with, with SimTD and also PreDrive, uh, which was preparing the field operational test, we really went into collecting all the use cases that are available and floating around in various consortia projects and try to assess them. What are their benefits for the driver, for the, for the society, so to say, like as global benefits? And what are the, the, the technical issues with these use cases? So such things like minimum required penetration rate, localization precision. We have GPS, but not every car has GPS. Um, but apart from GPS, will it, will it be enough? And something like that. And then what kind of communication is actually required? What kind of sensor access is required? Because it's not so easy to do uh, every time. And how actually do you present that information that it's coming to your car, to the driver, uh, because then again, uh, initial assessment shows that if you present a warning or information too early to the driver, uh, then he's rather annoyed with that. If it's too late, uh, then it's too late. Um, so those are some issues you have to solve with each, each application. And since we cannot tackle all application at once, because there are over 50 so to say, uh, we really have to, to rank them and to make a prioritization. And for that, uh, I present a formula, because this makes this talk scientific. Uh, uh, this is a process we, we went through for, for all the use cases. Basically, what we do is we, we take a number of parameters. As I said, individual benefit, global benefit, uh, probably technical issues. Uh, we weigh them, 
And then for each application, we ask car manufacturers, suppliers, experts, researchers to fill out and, uh, these, these tables to actually come up with a, with a ranking. And uh, the formula, of course, it's, it's very simple. It's just summing up um, all the parameters. And just to give you an impression, um, this is a very uh, rough um, way to, to do it. Uh, for instance, the blind, advanced blind spot uh, detection, it's in a safety group, so it's a safety application. Uh, what you would need for is vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication. You could try to do that uh, with 3G, but only partly. Um, due to the probably latency, but the good thing is that you only need um, very, very easy sensors, so to say. You need the, the speed of the vehicle and the position of the vehicle to, to show uh, or to, to detect whether really um, the car is approaching. Of course, with the position, you have a need for high precision since you need to know the, the lane. Um, but then, uh, system latency, as I said before, it's, it's not very high uh, compared to other uh, applications or use cases. And so, this is the kind of, of table uh, we fill out for each use case. Of course, then we, we weigh that. Uh, we, we put in numbers for, for each of those to being able to, to actually collect the, the prioritization. Just to give you an, an overview what we what we foresee as, as applications. Um, this is just, just for show. Uh, I won't explain all of that. If you have a specific question, um, feel free to ask. But the, the obvious is, of course, there's a traffic jam ahead warning, um, stop sign violation, uh, in-vehicle signage we had also. I don't see it here. Uh, funny thing is, uh, when you talk about this with um, Italian researchers, they, they're very fond of driving the wrong way in the gas station. That's a an, an very interesting use case for them. I don't know whether this happens more than usual um, in Italy, but um, for instance, in Germany, we, we don't implement that as a first-day use case, wrong way driving in, in particular. Because also most uh, people driving the wrong way, at least in the, on the freeway, doing it on purpose. So it's, uh, the, the, the expected benefit is not as high uh, because it's not by accident, so to say. But this is just the, uh, an example just to show you that the use cases that are tackled in, in the projects like SimTD are really prioritized and people put really a lot of thought into that. Now, since we, we've covered that and that we know what we do and what we use vehicle-to-x communication for, we can actually look into how we get that information uh, from car to car. Of course, there are two parts, or partly three parts of that. We, we need to do it on a physical layer, having the particles, so to say, travel from one car to the other. Uh, we have to, to control the, the medium access. Um, and then, once we've come to use cases that actually need information spread over a larger area, we, of course, need routing to, to actually do that. 
And just to give you a, also a short overview, because routing is one of the things that's not really fixed yet in the standardization, so there's not one vehicle to X communication routing uh, available right now. But you just can compare what are the, um, so to say, uh, compared to other mobile networks, what are the parameters uh, within uh, vehicle ad hoc networks? Because this gives you a uh, kind of a feeling what's actually needed for, for routing. Because if you look in, in vehicle networks, if you look at routing itself, of course, with uh, vehicle to X communication, you, you won't reinvent the wheel of routing. Uh, it's cars, they're driving fast, of course. You have, at least in Germany, uh, one car driving at 200 kilometers per hour, another car driving 200 kilometers per hour, so you have uh, a total speed of 400 kilometers per hour, so there's not much time uh, of, of cars to actually talk about stuff. Uh, so you really have to get the information across quite quickly. But that's about um, it, actually. Regarding computing power, of course, um, it depends on the money you want to spend for the car, but compared to, for instance, sensor networks, um, it's quite, uh, quite high. Also, memory capacity, energy limitations are very low, uh, also compared to, to sensor networks. So it's actually a quite luxury environment you have in that vehicle uh, compared to uh, other mobile networks. Also, with mobility, that's quite interesting for, for routing. Um, the mobility itself is high, but it's not as uh, random as you would expect. So it's not a, a Brownian movement of, of particles, but you, you go uh, along streets. Actually, you can probably predict also where, where cars are going, because if you have a map, a digital map, you actually know where, where the cars will be in the future. And those are some interesting knowledge you can actually put into the routing algorithm. Um, this is just summarizing again um, what, what's been in the table. Also, probably with a large network size, um, that's one interesting thing, because if you think of it in the end, you could span kind of a worldwide network of cars communicating, but uh, if you think of it, uh, what really do a car in Dublin needs to know what the traffic situation in London is. So, uh, depending on the applications, uh, also the information that needs to be spread, it's very local. But, of course, uh, in theory, you could span the whole planet with, with a vehicle network, except for the oceans. Um, this is, uh, indicated that already, some domain knowledge you can put into a routing algorithm. So you have the vehicle information, like its own position, its own speed, and also its direction. You have maps. You can foresee where the cars are actually driving. You probably even have more than maps. You have navigation information. You, if I use uh, the navigation device available in the car, um, the vehicle will know where I end up in like one hour, if I'm driving that long. And also, uh, what you can use is traffic information. So, the node density. The fun thing about vehicle ATX communication, and if you look at the applications there, is that 
um, if you have no cars, you usually have no problems. So in a freeway, where there's only cars, um, of course you have no one to communicate with, but since you are able to drive quite freely, actually you don't have anything to tell about. So the more cars there are, the more the problems actually uh, arise, traffic jams and stuff like that, and the more probably communication partners you actually have. Uh, but speaking about medium access control, this of course induces some other problems like broadcast storm. So if you have lots of cars in one place and all detecting a traffic jam and all cars are actually trying to tell that all the other cars, uh, they detected a traffic jam, uh, this will of course not work in a shared medium like, like the air. And so speaking of situations like a freeway where you have cars sitting in a traffic jam and other cars going with high velocity in another direction and they are, should be able to, to pick up that information that there is a traffic jam, uh, then you won't really have good traffic uh, medium access control because if those cars are not getting that information because of the medium is uh, kind of uh, flooded, then this whole system will, will not work. But um, this is just to, to give you a hint that vehicle RTX communication is just a regular mobile network, but with some twists. And those twists can really work in, in, into the uh, routing algorithm. Um, I will not go into the details of all the uh, routing algorithms, it's just to uh, give you a number of abbreviations, uh, and they are kind of separated according to the information they, they use. So, um, geographic unicast routing basically uses position uh, of the vehicle itself and, of course, also of the neighboring vehicles. Then, uh, geographic source routing, GSR, uh, uses the map. And then again, the trajectory-based uh, routing algorithm also use the, the direction, the velocity. And just an example, I want to present the motion vector scheme, which I like really much because it uses um, the, not, not only the position, but also the trajectory of each vehicle. Uh, just to, in case you're not familiar with geographic unicast routing, it's a very greedy routing algorithm where um, I direct packets or information to a specific geographic area. This is um, also taken from the special environment we have in the vehicle TX communication because there we don't address uh, IPs or devices, but we rather address geographic reasons most of the time. So if I want to inform other cars, about a traffic jam, actually I don't address uh, any vehicles in that area or in another area because actually I don't know them, but I say that in this specific geographic area uh, there is a traffic jam and it might be interesting for all the cars uh, going in the direction of that specific area, so this would be kind of the relevance area. And what geographic unicast routing does is basically taking its own position taking the position of all the cars around it and sending that information roughly in that direction. Very easy to implement, very greedy. But of course, uh, has some problems because if all the cars 
uh, are driving away from actually the, the target area, uh, then it will not help you. And this is something which uh, tries to be fixed with the motion vector scheme. Um, I made the effort, of course, for my lecture course to, to draw up a little picture. What you see here is a number of cars, and A wants, some, wants to send something to, to G. And um, what you see here is that usually um, if you just do greedy geographic unicast routing, you would uh, just send it uh, to, for instance, F in this uh, picture, which is going in the, in the wrong direction. And so what, they, uh, what A decides is instead of uh, sending it to, to F, it's sending it to, to E, which takes it uh, near the junction and then again uh, tries to send it to the, to, the right, to the right vehicle. And there it has a possibility to give it either to, to H or C. Again, C would, in a greedy way, be the best, uh, uh, the best vehicle to, to, to send it to. Uh, but it's actually going in the wrong direction, and that's why it's sent to... The thing here is, um, why do we do this effort? Um, what would be the, the most simple routing algorithm that you can uh, implement to, to transport information in a mobile network? Hmm? Just yeah, flooding. <laughs> uh, actually, flooding is not as bad as it sounds. Uh, it gets you the shortest path to the, to the target, but it comes at a cost, of course, and if you have lots of information that's traveling through the network, uh, then, of course, it's overwhelming for the network. So you have to put in some, uh, some effort to avoid actually flooding and, and loops and, and stuff like that. This is just one example. As I said before, this is research, more or less, um, because... Yeah, but every information, just if you have just one message, one information, then of course it's fine. But if every car tries to send an information uh, to every other car, then of course flooding uh, will for sure uh, not be suitable because it would be too much information floating around. That's about routing. Uh, Mac and Phi, there we can uh, present um, already some Etsy architecture. So this is standardized. Um, this is a general architecture of an ITS vehicle station, usually compromised of the communication unit and an application unit. This is due to the resource problems you probably have on hardware boxes, so you separate the communication device, so to say, from the actually application device doing all the use cases implementation. And there we have two different profiles. One is called the basic profile. This is what we usually look at in uh, projects like Drive or SimTD. And then there, was be, there has been uh, much discussion about um, what needs to be in, in such a standardized vehicle station of course, uh, there is kind of the, the, the research way putting in 
as much as possible, but then suppliers and car manufacturer want uh, the device itself or the devices to be as cheap as possible, which means that you cannot put in everything that you might want to, and that's why we have this basic profile with just ITS G5A, which is uh, IEEE 802.11p, which looks like the following. Uh, it's also called WAVE. Um, yeah, wireless access in vehicle environments. And basically, it takes a spectrum at 5.9 uh, gigahertz, 10 megahertz wide, and separates that in seven channels. One of them in the middle is called a control channel. Then you have uh, left and right, three ch um, service channels on each side. And the outermost channels, like this one and the uh, 184, are actually dedicated for specific safety um, services, so to say. Um, again, in a list. Um, also, what you, what you can do is you can combine um, those channels to a service channel that is uh, twice as broad as a normal service channel. What does it mean? Um, from a synchronization point of view, you have windows of 100 milliseconds where the first part is called a control channel interval and the second part is the service channel interval. So on the control channel, you just transmit um, kind of pointers, what information is to be expected on which service channel in that service channel part. Uh, why do you need that? Actually, you need that because you have kind of a single receiver setup, so you have just basically one antenna, and you have to make sure that you, you listen to the, to the right thing. And since it's expected that lots of information is probably transmitted via vehicle-to-x communication, you can't do that on, on just, just one channel, but you have to utilize all the seven channels, and that's why uh, first in the control channel interval you um, say what service channels are available, and then each vehicle or receiver can switch to the appropriate service channel, and the actual information, probably a bit larger, um, can be transmitted in parallel since the service channels are not that much overlapping. In a dual receiver setup, which of course again is more expensive than a single receiver setup, uh, you could listen to several service channels at once or to the to server channels and control channels, but uh, as I said, it's, it's more expensive. So what will happen? Um, for instance, a uh, roadside station at Roadworks um, sends out on a control channel via the WAVE short messages protocol uh, that it has information about upcoming Roadworks. Next part would be that uh, a vehicle broadcasts also on the control channel that it has information about a certain uh, service, maybe traffic jam detection and that then each vehicle receiving that information from the control channel is uh, selecting the appropriate service channels 
and actually can listen, so to say, and receive that information at the same time. So, um, what I'm leaving out is security because it would be too, too broad, but we are going to time. Um, but coming to the validation, as I said before, parts of that has been already standardized. Um, most of the other parts, it's not standard. People have some ideas how to do that. Now the question is, how do you validate that? One ex possibility to do that is actually uh, field operational tests, as I said before, but those are very expensive, so you have to come up with something else. And um, what that is, I will explain uh, shortly. But before, uh, I would like to just give you an overview of what, what validation actually means uh, with communication. So you have lots of stuff, but from the protocol testing part, what you can do is you can actually do conformance tests. So you have a specification and you test one device, uh, whether it fits and is compliant to that specification. You can do interoperability tests. There you take two implementations, two devices, and actually they should have passed the conformance test. So supposedly uh, they took the same specification and now you're really testing whether uh, they are really interworking. And trust me, it's, uh, even it's the same specification. It's not always true that they're able to, to interoperate. And then, of course, you have to do the whole performance testing, uh, load testing, and robustness testing, again, uh, on individual devices and implementations. So coming back to, to our... Um, general overview. What you would do um, on those lower levels is rather conformance and interoperability testing. What you would do on the, on the higher levels it's more like performance and robustness testing. And to do that you have several possibilities um, from the performance and robustness testing that would be field operational tests and simulations and on the lower level it's more like a test bench and also of course simulations. Test bench is a setup kind of hardware in the loop setup for instance where you take communication devices and you supply vehicle information like speed and position to those devices and you actually kind of emulate um, a real environment but you use real hardware whereas simulation as we understand it it's just pure software. How would you simulate a vehicle to X communication or an application there? Um, again, you have the, the different layer, the different layers there. For the lower layer, it's actually possible to take um, a traffic simulator that generates vehicle movement and takes that, um, you do that before runtime, and you take that movement of the vehicles and test your actual routing algorithm or your, your lower layers in a network simulator, which just simulates the, uh, the networking layer. And there you get things like latency and throughput, good put, and stuff like that. But that does not give you any information whether your use case really works. So the use case would be, or your application would be, um, how is the efficiency of the whole traffic increased through your, through your applications. For that, you have to uh, actually interconnect 
the uh, network simulator with the traffic simulator. One example here is um, we have two roads and the blue car there has a possibility to either go left or right. And depending on the, the information that's available in the network, it has to go left and right. If you just take in the previous example or setup the movements of the car um, pre-recorded at runtime, you could never have the blue car go either left or right, depending on how good your uh, routing or how good your communication is. For instance, you want to test uh, the communication range, ranges. Uh, you want, of course, when you are testing something, when you are evaluating, validating something, you, you have to keep some parameters fixed. Uh, you change some other parameters, and then you see what's, what's the outcome is, so to say. For instance, we want here to, um, to change the communication range and see whether packets really arrive at the blue car or not. Uh, if we do that for several cars, uh, we obviously have at one time the blue car going to the left and the other time blue car having to, going to the right. And that means that the, the movement of the cars changes because of the uh, communication simulator which brings us to a to setup like this, where all the application, the traffic simulator, and also the network simulator actually communicate uh, and influence each other at runtime, which is a very hard thing actually to do. Especially it's hard um, because there, there are a lot of traffic simulators, there are a lot of network simulators, and you don't want to throw away uh, that information by just inventing your, your own simulator that does that all internally. So um, what you can do is, let's do it this time, uh, this way, uh, you can either take uh, specific simulators for traffic, one for traffic, one for the, for the network, and you, you couple them uh, statically so you write uh, special adapters for, for those um, simulators. But then, of course, if another or new uh, traffic simulator comes up, um, you're stuck with your old simulator. So what we have proposed is a generic runtime infrastructure where we can put in arbitrary traffic simulators, arbitrary network simulators, actually, and have the, the runtime environment uh, coordinate all these simulators at, at runtime. Of course, um, that flexibility comes ex uh, at an expense. Um, the complexity that's uh, increased through this uh, dynamic handling of all the simulators decreases, so to say, uh, the uh, increases the, the computing power, so to say, needed, and that's why you can, compared to a static coupling, uh, simulate uh, not as many cars as you could with a, with a static simulator, basically. But then again, looking at the applications uh, we, we are looking at in vehicle to x communication, we don't need to simulate whole of Germany or whole of Ireland. We just need to simulate like 400 cars, 500 cars, and you need to do that at a decent speed. What are the problems with that? Uh, of course, one is the data exchange. You have to have the same or similar models of the different simulators. So you have to translate the, a car, a vehicle in a traffic simulator to some node uh, that's moving in a network simulator. 
Um, you have to adjust the timing of the cars. Of course, uh, usually uh, only discrete event-based simulators are actually suitable for that coupling. And the, the biggest problem actually is that simulators are so far not prepared for such a coupling. And so you have to really work and write the interfaces to these simulators. Um, what has been available when we started this work like two years ago is an IEEE standard, HLI, uh, high-level architecture that actually had already some of those um, issues addressed, at least on a theoretical level. So we've been influenced highly by that and developed um, yeah, simulation environment that's actually capable of uh, abstracting from each simulator, uh, doing all the, the timing control and also controlling which simulator is to be run at what time and, and stuff like that. So we have a central simulation, synchronization of simulators. We, we have a standardized, so to say, uh, exchange of data between simulators and with our runtime environment we have a common interface for all uh, simulators. What does it look like? Um, we have the runtime infrastructure and we write what we call ambassadors for each uh, federate. A federate is kind of an encapsulation of a simulator and so it's one federate or one ambassador to the, to the simulation itself and one is to the, the runtime infrastructure and all the vehicle management, federation management, the time management, uh, also the interaction between simulators is all being taken care of by the runtime environment. This also includes feeding environment information like uh, whether there's an icy road uh, or weather conditions to traffic simulations. This has to be also coordinated. Also, funnily, uh, and interestingly enough, uh, most traffic simulators are not able to uh, simulate accidents because uh, most of the traffic there, uh, actually, it, it's perfect. So people are not too, too close to another vehicle uh, because actually they know the speed of the other vehicle, so they, they drive at the right distances. So it, it's very hard to actually induce an accident in a traffic simulator, and we can do that with that environment as well. What we've done, of course, we simulated several applications. One interesting here is, uh, because we are not able to, to include traffic simulators and network simulators, but also we are able to calculate the amount of CO2 that's actually produced by each car via, via an environment simulator. And so we, we took this very simple example of um, recommended itinerary. So cars communicate whether they're in a traffic jam or not. And so other cars coming up to that uh, point are able to change their routes according to that information that they received. We've done that for freeways and we've done that for cities. And the interesting part was that most of the time cars, of course, are faster when they are taking uh, a different route. But uh, regarding to the CO2 emission, it was actually more environmental to stay in the traffic jam, probably with your engine off, uh, than driving around. Do you have a question, Bob? Okay. 
Uh, and that was quite, quite interesting. Uh, also for the European Commission, uh, one result of uh, pre-dive, because usually um, that is seen also as a vehicle to X communication as a, as a solution to, to everything and also to greener driving, but some, sometimes it's actually better to just leave the cars in the, in the traffic jam. Uh, with even with the engine running, because uh, a, a car um, that's not driving is also the part is that uh, if you are driving, you are producing CO2. If you are not driving, even with the engine running, you are not producing as much CO2 um, as when you are driving. Yeah, of course it's 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 line. Um, so there you you can you have some some uh, Schnittpunkt. <coughs> they, they, they cross. So, but mostly general over um, um, so the course of the simulations. The general idea is that staying even with the engine on in the traffic jam is better for the environment than uh, driving through the countryside. It's actually reversed in the city um, because there you have enough uh, possibilities to actually take different routes. And there you're helping uh, not only yourself with going faster to, uh, to your target, but also help the other because the, the, the route that's actually congested, congested by, by traffic jam um, has now less cars than before. So they can also travel better if you're taking or some cars are actually taking uh, a different route. So this is also an interesting point that putting vehicle-to-x communication into cars not only helps the immediate um, cars equipped with that technology, but also helps the other cars, of course, provided that the overall number of cars stays the same, uh, but also helps the other cars uh, because um, there's, there's less traffic on one specific route. Last but not least, as I said before, simulation is, is one way uh, to, to show that applications work, but you sometimes, in, at some point in time, you have to really show it in the, in the real world, so to say. Also, what we need or what we can do with this field operational test is actually um, kind of calibrate our simulations so we can the expectation is not that we get new results in field operational tests, but that we can have an assurance that what we've done in the simulation is actually the right thing. It would be actually very surprising if the results of all the simulation is invalidated through field operational tests. I think then uh, we really have done something wrong. <laughs> so one project dealing with field operational tests was concluded uh, last September. It's pre-drive, uh, but this was only the preparation of a field oper operational test in, in whole of Europe. Beginning of this year, 1st of January, uh, the follow-up project Drive C2X actually started, which is uh, bringing field operational tests all to all over Europe. Of course, if you want to do it in a European scale, European scale uh, it makes no sense to, to equip one million cars, and even that would be not enough uh, to drive around all over Europe, but you need to have um, several test sites. We have seven of those 
where you can actually test uh, individual applications. The idea here is to have all over Europe, initially the seven, probably some more, it's the same system where you can test such vehicle to X communication applications and that the results of each test site is actually interchangeable. That helps suppliers and car manufacturers because um, Fiat, for instance, can just go to their Italian test site and uh, do some testing there and is, can be sure that the whole system actually works all over Europe so they don't have to travel to each country and do some tests. And so uh, on, on a European scale, we have very much uh, included the national activities uh, from each country. Uh, one of those is SimTD, which is kind of right now the largest field operational test happening in uh, Germany. So overall budget is 60 million euros. We have, or we expect to have 400 vehicles running on the street. Thereby, 100 of those are so-called expert drivers, so we tell them what to do. And 300 uh, vehicles are free-floating, just drivers doing what they always do and just uh, being equipped with our system. Then we have, additionally, 100 roadside stations um, equipped. We target inner city areas of Frankfurt, um, freeways and also some rural um, Bundesstraßen, how we call them. National roads. National roads, yeah. Um, we expect to have above 60 terabytes of uncompressed log data that needs to be um, analyzed. It's quite a lot. And ZimTT um, is conducted by all German OEMs and uh, suppliers. So it's, it's really something that uh, all car manufacturers actually have on their roadmaps to see what vehicle-to-X communication can help them to increase safety and efficiency. What is the methodology of such a field operational test? Um, the thing is that with all these, as I said before, 60 million, you cannot do much trial and error. You, you cannot have the cars run a bit, then look at the log data or whatever, uh, and then go back and run again. Uh, so you really have to prepare everything. Um, and so all these um, jumpings from planning to execution and also from execution to analysis or back, or going in any way into that execution phase is really expensive because you have to, to pay the drivers, you have to pay the cars, uh, you have to, to pay the people actually monitoring the drivers. And if you, if you think about it, uh, 400 cars means 400 drivers means it's uh, rather large than small company. So you, you really have a lot of people sitting there and, and waiting for, for information. And that's why uh, the planning phase here is very, very crucial. What we do is um, we use also our simulation environment to, to do some pre-assessment. For instance, for each test campaign, it would be interesting to know how many cars are at least needed to see uh, the expected results. Um, because if you run a certain test with uh, 20 cars instead of 40 cars, of course, it costs you half as much money. 
And for the scenarios, you really need to find something, uh, someone that's interested in the data because um, you, you really don't have time for, for execution and you really have to, to, in each test run, address several test campaigns or several uh, tests and, and goals you want to, to assure. And that's why the, the creation and the validation of the scenario is very important. What we do in, in that regard is uh, we are implemented, we implemented the, uh, the whole test management. So we control the logging on the vehicle station, on the road science station. Uh, we have means to get that information to the central station. There we differentiate between two kinds of data, monitoring data and logging data. Logging data is huge data, that's the 60 terabyte, but to, during the test run you need to make sure that the cars actually and the drivers are doing the same, the, the right thing, also that the system works um, so that you're collecting the right data and uh, for that we, we need to collect monitoring data that's transmitted via UMTS, um, but of course it's limited what you can monitor there. Then of course everything goes into a logging database uh, and then it's later then uh, evaluated by according partner. Um, and that brings me to our, my summary. Basically, uh, what you can take with you from this talk is that uh, vehicle-to-x communication, it's, it's almost there. Um, there are some issues to solve on the routing level, so to say. Probably also some issues on the Mac and file level, but since uh, standardization is quite far advanced in that regard. It's probably hard to, to actually influence uh, what's happening out there. But from the application side, seeing what, what you can do, if you think into the future, like 10, 15, 20 years, uh, almost all vehicles will be equipped um, with, with such a technology. And what we, can we do with that information? I think uh, what we can take out from communicating cars, it's not completely grasped yet. Even the, the, the lots of use cases we've seen before, that's not all you can do with vehicle to x communication. So this is really some, something uh, we are looking into and what I encourage also you to look into. Um, and then again, uh, validation there is very important. So field operational tests, and also the, the data collected at the such field operational test in SIMTD and also in Drive is probably uh, useful even longer than, than those projects uh, are actually running because, um, as always, there's uh, too less time actually for the analysis of this data. Um, yeah, and as I said before, the simulating of applications, of novel applications, and assessing them will be really, really uh, important also in the future. Because if you're bringing <coughs> new functions um, into the market later on, you have to make sure, for instance, that the, the old functions and the old vehicles uh, are still working and not overwhelmed with any information you're putting out there. And that concludes my talk. Thank you very much. Any questions? Okay.
And that's one. On this slide where you were talking about the standards, <coughs> you had three different ones listed. You had an Etsy one, an IEEE 1609, was it? And yeah. Uh, 8211P. How do those, what different things do they cover? Um, it's like the, um, the 802.11p, it's just uh, the phi and the, the MAC layers, the lower layers, and the IEEE 16.09 suit is, covers above that. It's kind of the difference between uh, WLAN and Wi-Fi. Uh, so one is the, the lower levels, the 802.11, mm -hmm. and the other is all the authentication and art mode and, and stuff like that. Okay, and they, do they sort of depend on one another? Yeah. And the Etsy one is then is this architecture for building applications and things on. Indeed. And uh, the important thing about the Etsy uh, architecture, it's quite, quite new, that you need to rely on certain facilities, they call it, for instance, position. Uh, because also the 11P, as I said, it's very highly depending on geographic locations. So you, you need to have the positions uh, in, in other stuff available in the whole communication system, which means that has to be standardized as well. Yes? Uh, just on the positioning, uh, some of the applications, yeah, clearly you do need to know the position. So, what are you assuming about the required accuracy? For example, is GPS adequate in terms of speed and accuracy? Yeah, the answer is it depends. <laughs> Uh, really on the on the application um, for most of the time of course GPS is all what we have in higher class um, vehicles you have also inertial systems that are able to do lane accuracy um, it's, there you you depends on what you want to present to the driver as I said the the assistance for um, overtaking vehicles of course there you would need lane accuracy in the positioning system but uh, if you don't have that in your vehicle, then you probably just present a warning that a fast vehicle is approaching. So you, there's some graceful degradation in the applications as well available. Well, I have a question. What, I can see why uh, the, the municipal authorities or city authorities would be interested in vehicle communications. Why are car manufacturers? Yeah. The, uh, what's the incentive for car manufacturers to do this? The, um, actually, there, there isn't, I would say. <laughs> the, it's, it's very hard because um, since the, all the infotainment part is where people would actually like to pay is out um, and security or safety is nothing you, you would usually pay for um, if, you, if you can avoid that. Uh, it, it's very hard to... Um, to find such a killer argument for the whole uh, vehicle takes communication. What they know is that there's a range of what they can do with uh, all the other sensors is limited. What you can do with radar, leader, and also optical systems, it's, it's ranges only so far. And so to, to make cars safer and to actually reach that goal of zero accidents within the EU, uh, you need to have communication. So you can basically what you do is you use the sensors of the other cars for you. And so there's no way uh, around communication, but uh, there's also no easy way to actually get paid uh, 
to, to put it in the car. Why did you choose Frankfurt? What's special about Frankfurt? Oh, this was a, a highly political issue. I, I cannot go into the details, but they've, uh, in the beginning of the project, they've evaluated several uh, locations, also Berlin and also uh, something in Bavaria, but uh, Frankfurt won. But basically, because they're putting already a lot of effort in, into traffic and traffic engineering, uh, because Hesher is kind of a, they have lots of traffic going through their. Uh, uh, the Frankfurt is a pretty works pretty well as a city. Why would it wouldn't make more sense to use Dublin, which doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, but uh, since uh, Simtidi, for instance, is a German-funded. Uh, no, but there must be cities in Germany that are done as. Not as bad as London, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but in the end, it was indeed a political issue. Okay, then your question. So we're just going to be with the rest of the afternoon. So maybe we we'll just uh, have some tea and coffee and uh, go for the trailer and take the discussions outside. Okay.